two weekends, this one and next weekend, are what we call freestanding weekends. That means whoever is teaching can pick on any topic that they want to teach on. And so I just kind of, Monday's my study day, so man, I rolled it out, got all my stuff out, and I, I, I about went crazy, because I, I didn't know what I, should, what I should talk about. Normally in the series, you know where you're headed. So I had oh, all kinds of options, and finally I felt like God just said, look, just preach something out of the Bible, you'll be good. But... But I kind of defaulted back to kind of one of my favorite stories, and it ha- also happens to do with David, who I talked about last week, uh, the very next chapter. Um, but this is a really unique story. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, this is not what I expected? That's what I'm calling this message today, not what I expected. How many of you have used that phrase when it's related to, say, food. <laughs> I, I, I certainly have. You know, these buffets, I try to avoid buffets because you can overeat so easily. But every now and then I'll, I'll splurge. And this one time I can remember the exact place. And it had this dish that I just, I, I love what it was. I'm not even going to say. But it looked so good. And so I sort of loaded up on it. You know what I'm saying? When you kind of get a little more than you normally would. And uh, I got back to the table. And the first bite I took of that, it was like, oh, no, this is awful. Then you're trying to like, pawn, oh, I got too much here. You take some of this. You're like, trying to pawn it off on your friends. And if they don't want it, what do you do? You just, you just push it all around to the edges of your plate, you know, and you just kind of look. How many of you have used that phrase when you met someone, at least in your mind, this is not what I expected? You know, sometimes especially if if you've heard their voice for a while and uh, then you meet them, it's like, wow, this isn't what I expected and, and what I thought. Or you visit a new place, someone tells you, you go there and you say, this isn't what I expected. How many of you know that that phrase can be a positive thing? You know, wow, this is not what I expected. This is amazing. And but, but in this story today, you're going to see, and I'm going to try to let you feel, that in our walk with God, this is, this is the baseline, in our walk with God, we're going to have many moments in our journey where we say, this is not what I expected. Now, that's going to be good sometimes, but it's also going to be negative or challenging sometimes. Because you can be in the perfect will and plan of God and face hardship, disaster, brokenness, and God has promised to be with you all the way. His word says he never leaves us or forsakes us, but it doesn't say he will remove all the obstacles. And some people think when they get Jesus, they get a carefree life without any challenges. When we look at the life of David right here, boy, this is challenging. David is going to teach us something today about how we handle circumstances and how we handle challenges, even with the favor of God. Number one in your outline, if you're taking notes on the back of the program there, there will be wilderness. There will be wilderness in your life, wilderness experiences that are beyond your control. And some of these are going to be because of what someone else does. And some of these are going to be because of the decisions that you have made. Some of these are just going to be because of nature. 
Uh, things naturally happen that put us in this situation. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, that's where I want to start. If you have a Bible, just lay it open. I'm going to go verse by verse through that chapter, but I'm going to refer to a couple of other passages. I want to read verse 1 of 1 Samuel 24. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. Now, Saul was the king of Israel, just to put this in perspective for you. David has been anointed as the king, but he has not yet been put in his rightful place. Saul despises David and wants to kill him. I want to just read what happened in, in chapter 16 before chapter 24. So you have the sequence right. Verse 1. Finally, the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. Now fill your horn with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my new king. In this story, Samuel gets there and basically Jesse lines all of his boys up. And there's a long line. And Samuel walks by them. And God doesn't say, this is the one, ever. He's confused. He says, do you have any other sons? And Jesse's like, well, I've got a shepherd. He's out in the field right now. And he says, go get him. And it's David. And they go get him. And Samuel immediately knows this is the next king of Israel. He anoints him with oil. In verse 13 it says, So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the olive oil he had brought and he poured it on David's head. And the Spirit, this is important, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And from that day on, then Samuel returned to Ramah. What? We just read that Saul is trying to kill him. And yet back here before, David has been anointed as king and has the favor of the Lord. I don't know about you, but you know, if you suddenly got the keys to the office in the big chair and you're made the CEO, I think you ought to be able to use it. I think you ought to be able to walk in and say, this is the vision I have for this place. David is running for his life after he's been anointed to be king. That's kind of confusing. How do you end up in the wilderness when you're supposed to be having the crown on your head leading the nation of Israel? This had to be confusing. This had to be a real tough thing. But it proves our lives are not trouble-free, even with the anointing of God on our lives. Okay, it gets worse. Number two, there will be trouble. Sorry, this starts out so depressing. Hang in here with me, okay? It'll get better. There will be trouble. We're going to go back to 1 Samuel 24, and I want to show you what David's up against here. Lots of trouble. Verse 2. So Saul chose 3,000 special troops from throughout Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. 3,000. These are highly, this would be like special forces. The best of Israel. And David is one guy, and David has a few what they call mighty men with him. He's got a few warriors that are loyal to him. They believe in him, but it's certainly not an army. And Saul thinks it's going to take 3,000 of his highly trained folks to go find David and kill him. So they're on a mission to destroy David. I was thinking about this. Saul is so obsessed with killing David. How did he end up getting in this place where he despises this young kid? Well, it has to do with jealousy. It has to do with insecurity. It has to do with inferiority. Matter of fact, you can read stories in the Bible of 
the women who stayed home from battle, when Saul would come in and then David would come in after battle, they would sing a little song that would say, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. And boy, that did not set well with uh, Saul. And so there's this seed that's planted. And every time the name of David comes up, it's in some reference of he's great and how wonderful he is and how good he is. And Saul starts to despise that. Stop right there. When and how does that happen to us? Last week, uh, during the weekend, I think in all the messages... I touched just for a moment on insecurity and inferiority. And I got such a response, uh, email and conversations this week, that I want to touch on it again because I think it's a chord that I didn't realize was such a, a big, big deal. But we are in a culture. Here's the problem. We're in a culture that is creating comparisons with you and someone who is better than you every single day. In just about every aspect of our lives. And when I say better, I don't mean it. I'm just saying that's what it appears to be. Our culture is constantly pushing us to improve ourselves because we must not be good enough. I saw, I saw a commercial the other day, thinking in light of this message. I laughed out loud. We don't watch much TV, but this was, this was crazy. It was on, um, tooth whitening strips you know where you put these things on your teeth and you make your teeth whiter (laughs) i'm not kidding the people they had in these commercials their teeth were so white that it almost blew up my tv i mean it, it was like a glare and when they smiled it was like whoa you know Turn out the light. Do something. If if you had teeth like that and you smiled, it would freak me out. Now, now there's nothing wrong with using these strips on your teeth. There's nothing wrong with improving your physical look. But the motive of your heart and why and, and how we are pushed from white teeth to what we wear to how we look to our weight to the, the look to what is modern, what is techie, all of these things keep pushing us and pushing us and pushing us. And before you know it, we're living a life that we don't even know our identity anymore. We're not even sure we're chasing after some, or someone else is so good at this and they receive all these awards for it. And so you want to get good at that. And it's the challenge of saying, when can I just let God say, I love you like you are. I love the phrase that I heard recently when someone said the battle of insecurity, the battleground of insecurity is fought between your ears. It's right in the brain. It's how you think. Saul was thinking poorly. And David was running for his life because of it. Sad thing. Number three. Okay, this story takes a really weird twist. You ready? There will be the unexpected. There will be the unexpected. This is that unexpected moment in this particular story when... It's a little awkward talking about this at church, but it's in the Bible, so I'm going to just read it. Verse 3. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, 
David and his men were hiding in that very cave. Not a good time to go to the bathroom, right? This is a funny story. This is crazy. I mean, you can imagine. I've been to this spot, and, and there's lots of caves. There's this little path that goes through, and there are all these caves. And Saul sees a cave, and he says, hey, hold on, guys. Remember, there's 3,000 of them. And uh, give me a second. And he goes up in the cave, and David and his mighty men are with him in the cave. And they're seeing Saul walk up to the cave they're in. So they're backing up, trying to get back in the darkness. And, and, and David's warriors, we'll see in a minute, they're like, I mean, David's phone's blowing up with text saying, OMG, Saul's coming to our cave, you know. <laughs> Take him out. Make it quick. They started saying things like, David, this is Saul. God's answered your prayers. You can, you can kill him. God's given him into your hands. It's a big moment. Matter of fact, this moment might be one of the biggest defining moments in David's life. And he needed to get it right. But by every measuring point that we would have humanly of reason... David should have taken Saul out right here, but he didn't. He didn't because something was going on in his heart. He didn't do what everyone else said to do. When I, when I think about this, I think about, does God put us in situations to see what we will do? To test us, to kind of see what we'll do? <laughs> I, I know the answer that I'm going to give you. I'm not trying to make it a trick question, but no, he really doesn't because he already knows what you would do. So then why does he allow situations in our life? You know what I think it is? So we can find out what we would do. Think about that. Because you don't know how you will really respond until you're really in the situation. It's, it's interesting that in, we, we learn from Scripture that we really don't know what's going on in each other's heart. God is the only one who knows the motive of the heart. I hear people sometimes say, well, they have such a good heart. You really don't know that. It's nice that you feel that way, probably, and maybe they do, but you really don't know. We don't know what's really going on in someone's heart. But in this story, it is revealed because of this circumstances, this circumstance. And I think that's what happens in our lives when we have moments that confuse us. We discover where our heart really is. And suddenly you have this explosion of anger. Or suddenly you're just going to say it like it is. Or you're going to tell someone off. You're gonna, and this, this happens in us sometimes to reveal where we really are in our heart. David had an interesting thing happen to him. Number four. There must be patience. There must be patience. David could have taken Saul out. But there's some reasons he didn't that he's going to explain to us in a minute. But look at what he's being told in verse 4. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today is the day the Lord was talking about when he said, I will certainly put Saul into your power to do with as you wish. Then David crept forward and cut off a piece of Saul's robe. Now, it, I don't think they had time. This, this is time sensitive, right? So, David had to think fast. And I don't think he had time nor the decision to talk in that cave 
because of the risk that Saul might hear them talking. So I don't think any of his warriors knew that he wasn't going to kill him. And you can imagine what that was like when David is back in the cave in the darkness and Saul has this long robe, this coat, a king's coat or robe was really long. It could be clear cover, clear over the back of a horse. And so that robe is probably pushed out and David sees the end of that robe. And as David's crawling towards Saul, I'm sure all the other warriors are like, yeah. And David pulls out his scissors from Office Depot. He gets a hold of his robe quietly without being noticed. And his knife is sharp. And he cuts off a piece. And he crawls back into the cave. And Saul never knows this happens until later. He never knows this happened. Saul finishes his stuff, goes back outside the cave. Can you imagine what it was like in that moment when David turns around to his men and say, look what I got. How good was that, guys? I am creative. And they're going, what? God gave you Saul. What are you thinking? We're not following you anymore. No, they didn't say that. What happened there? David made a willful decision that he was going to lead not from the sword but from the heart. That's one of the biggest decisions David ever made. Saul was leading with a sword. Saul had the power to take out anybody that got in his way. You know, that's the spirit of our world. That's what you're being taught every day is to win. To not just overcome, but to win and to push others down on your way. It doesn't matter what happens to them. Matter of fact, we have phrases like, don't get mad, get even. Or advantage, I've heard some people say. I'm amazed, I'm not a big social media person, but I'm amazed when I have followed a few threads of of an argument between philosophies in our world, how quickly it elevates to just sheer hatred. And someone will post something, and within minutes, it's like, it's not just about the topic, it's about the person. You're a stupid idiot, you don't have a brain, blah, 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 blah. It all goes personal, and people have just gotten mean. And they just type it out, there's no accountability, there's no answering for it, and you can just send it out for everyone to read your highly valued opinion about ripping someone to shreds. Wow. Wow. I think it was Taylor Swift who wrote a country song that says, All you're ever going to be is mean. Well, you're probably about one of her ex-boyfriends, I'm assuming. But I don't know which one. All you're ever going to be is mean. How how are we going to keep from leading with the sword in the culture we live in? How are we going to stay kind? How are we going to be sweet? How are we going to keep 
control of those emotions that want to lash out and be filled with hatred. Here's, here's, this is very important, okay? It is okay for you to have a relationship that gets severed, your gunu, in your life. And what I'm teaching today doesn't mean that you have to run back into a relationship that God isn't intending you to run back to. If you have lost trust, if someone is not trustworthy in that relationship, and that's happened to many of you in marriage, it's happened to you in business, you are not required. Forgiveness doesn't require that you go get back in relationship with that person. It means that you've lost respect, you've fallen out of relationship. But here's the, here's the thing that changes us. We do not foster or despise to the point that it leads to hatred. We can have healing that takes place in our lives regardless of what that person does with it. You do not have to jump in the game of making someone look worse than you. You don't have to play that game of winning emotionally over someone who's trying to beat you down. You put that into the hands of God. David simply said, I'm not leading with the sword. I'm going to trust God. That's a big deal. And that takes us to the final three things here. Three things that I think we really need if we're going to impact others in a godly way, which I hope you want to do with your life and your attitude and how you live. The first thing that I have on my list is a sensitive heart. We live in a culture that wants to push us toward callous. It wants to push us toward caring only about good old number one, and the rest of the world can go to hell in a handbasket. I don't really give a rip. But that isn't Jesus living. He's called us to be the people who care for the people who don't care. That takes something very special in our lives. In verse 5 it says, But then David's conscience began bothering him, (laughs) even because he had cut Saul's robe. You know, I'm thinking that should say, because he didn't kill him after all. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done it, he said to his men. It's a serious thing to attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David sharply rebuked his men and did not let them kill Saul. It's true that God told Samuel, the anointing is off of Saul, it's now on David. David has been anointed. But David is living in the past saying, this is still the king that I know. And I'm going to honor that. I shouldn't have messed with him. I shouldn't have even cut his robe. I love the fact that it says he wouldn't let his warriors kill Saul. That means they wanted to. (laughs) Right? Now think of this. Put this in practical terms. Wouldn't it be nice if you could have someone else do your dirty work? You know, you have someone else who's willing to say that about that person who's driving you crazy. You have someone else. It's like you could hire a whole bunch of people to take that person out. But David said, no, I'm not going to do it and you're not going to do it. Why? Because it's not the God decision. Wow. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You know, if it, if it makes you feel any better, they'll get what's coming to them. <laughs> Sounds awful, doesn't it, with a sermon like this? <laughs> Sometimes there's satisfaction in being proven right. Sometimes there's satisfaction. Just don't let that seed get in you. That you become obsessed with that stuff. David didn't. 
David has a sensitive heart. Don't fight evil with evil. How can we stay sensitive in this world? Pray about that today. Number two, humility. Humility is a tough one to talk about because you really don't know if it's a a trait in your life. Other people might identify you as a humble person, but, you know, you probably shouldn't identify yourself as a humble person. (laughs) Hi, what are your giftedness? Well, I'm really humble. I'm good at that. So it's, it's kind of a tricky one. But what humility is, it's, it's that response that we see in someone when they could have had a different response, but their response shows their humility. After Saul, verse 7, after Saul had left the cave and gone his way, verse 8, David came out and shouted after him. Now listen to this. They had a close relationship. David used to play the harp in Saul's chamber. Uh, they've known each other for years. Um, so he would often call Saul father. Saul had called him son. And so we see that here. It says, My Lord, the king, when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Again, David is humbling himself to this guy that's trying to kill him. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm him. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of your robe. I think at this moment, Saul's looking around at his robe, and he pulls it up, and sure enough, there's a piece missing off the corner. He says, I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you, that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting to try to kill me. Here's David trying to explain, to plead with this madman. And some scholars believe he was he had gone kind of crazy. But this woke Saul up. David's humility. Listen, humility is a tough one. Humility is that thing that sometimes we don't even know it's in us. But it comes out when we stay sensitive to God. Humility is making a decision to love people even when they've wounded you. It's, 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 a, it's a crazy concept. We choose to be open to relationships because of the humility that's in our lives. The last one that I think is a quality that really impacts people is the quality of mercy and offering mercy. Just think about this. Most people don't deserve it, we would say in our mind. (laughs) The irony of this is that's why it's the word mercy. If, if, you, if you look up the word, the very definition has to do with showing kindness to someone who doesn't deserve it. So to show mercy, look at this in verse 16. Saul called back, Is that really you, my son, David? Then he began to cry. You guys, this was a very interesting moment for David to see King Saul weeping. This broke him. And he said to David, You are a better man than I am. You have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been wonderfully kind to me today. For when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let this enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well 
for your kindness, the kindness you have shown me today. Look at verse 20. Now I realize that you are surely going to be king, and Israel will flourish under your rule. You know what just happened? The unexpected. And Saul is now saying, this is not what I expected. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. And it broke the heart of Saul and he began to weep. Why? Because this young kid was the better man. Saul fought with a sword. David fought with a sensitive heart. What in the world can we learn from this in a culture that's pushing us toward hardness? This act of kindness exposed the truth to Saul about himself and about David. Don't become more mean. Become more tender. Let's pray. What does it mean today, Lord? To see a weeping Saul who had been so hard and so calloused because he got what he wasn't expecting. Lord, use this moment to shape us. Use this moment to really talk to us and really lead us. Change us today. The tendencies that I'm running toward, who I'm becoming. Guys, this is a message of checkpoint in your life to really take a look at where you really are. If, if you say, I have an enemy, and maybe it's filling you with disdain, maybe it's filling you with hate, maybe you're there. And today's the day when you need to lay them on the altar and say, God, I give this to you. I can't do this anymore. Then would you do that right now? You say, but you don't understand. No, I don't. And it doesn't mean that you have to go back into relationship with Him. It just means you're going to leave the consequence to God and you're going to trust Him. And it's not going to wreck more of your life and take away your emotional stability. There's more for you to do and more for you to live for than that. Do that now if if you're in that situation. Say their name under your breath. Lord, I give you and just say their name. I don't want you to raise your hands to this because it's it's embarrassing, but I'm I'm feeling like it's an important thing to ask. Have you let culture turn you into a more mean person? What do you write on social media? What do you say to people who disagree with you? Even when you know you're right, what's the angst? What comes out? Offer that to God right now. Lord, I'm becoming. Some people have told me, as you get older, you just don't care what other people think as much. I think that can really be a cop-out. That's not becoming more secure. That's letting that mean spirit win. Offer that to God. I don't want to be mean. I want to be a kind person with the traits and qualities of godliness in my life. And then I I do want you to raise your hand for this. If you're in a, a situation... And it's not what you expected. It could be health, relationship, financial. Uh, has nothing to do with sin or 
moral issues. It just means, man, I need God's help. I'm in a situation and I, I'm not, I just didn't think I would be in this. Would you let us pray for you just as your brothers and sisters? Hold up your hand if that's you. You're in one of those. Okay. We've all been there, you guys. So church, help me pray for these. Lord, thank you for our family, for what we call our living room here in this room. I just thank you for those in the south who have responded as well today. Just right now in this moment. We pray for one another. We pray for strength and guidance and encouragement. We pray that you will be close to us. We pray, Lord, as people walk through what they haven't expected, that they will know you haven't left them. You are still with them. Your promise to stay. Yet you did not remove this obstacle. You did not remove this situation. We don't understand why, but that's your choice. We will live in obedience to you. And we trust you for the glory of God. We pray these things. Everybody said amen.